Hey everyone, welcome to the Mixtape Mixtape Podcast Podcast. I'm your host, Julia. And I'm your host, Mike. Each episode, we pick a topic and make you a mix. What is this week's topic, Julia? We have a special guest. We have a guest. We have a guest. We have a guest. Yeah! He has just uh, about done it all. He's a former punk rock frontman. He owns a record label that's launched famous punk rock bands. He's a stand-up comedian. He's a dad, and he co-hosts a parenting podcast. Welcome, Joseph. How are you? Uh, thank you so much for having me. So good to see you. How's that vacation going? Welcome back, everyone. We have a brand new episode, and actually, we have a super special guest today. I know. I'm really excited. I actually was stoked that he agreed to do it, and I, I was like, what? Really? It's not just me and Mike <laughs> talking to each other so, yeah, all day long? Yeah, just pontificating about <laughs> stupid shit like it normally is. <laughs> but today, we are actually really honored to have uh, kind, of a, kind of a music legend. I'm going to say legend just because of the list of bands that... Uh, that this person has worked with is really meaningful for me, so I'm oh, going to say that. So uh, we have Joe Sib. So, uh, well, let's see. His credits include... Side One Dummy Records. Right, but also a musician first, musician. right? Songwriter, let's say that. Let's say dad. Let's say husband. <laughs> let's say surfer. Let's say... Uh, punk legend. Punk legend. Let's say owner and operator of Side One Dummy Records. Let's say uh, com- stand-up comedian podcaster i mean sh- joe you got DJ? some credits there's joe of everybody there's lots of let's say so i like yeah. that <laughs> let's just say not good at everything tries it all yeah Aww. exactly he's a like, jack of all trades master yeah. of some yeah but yeah, thank you, you for go. coming on our show we're so, oh, so honored to have I'm, you here I'm, you know what when when uh lisa johnson hit me up about it I was like, absolutely, it sounds cool. Yeah, those of, you who, out. those of you who are faithful to the show know that Lisa Johnson kind of pimps for us. She kind of goes out. <laughs> it's it's odd. We had her on the show and are a fan of her work, and she knows everyone. So it's I've great. known Lisa forever, and when Lisa asks me to do anything, I do it. Oh, per- well, yeah. good. Awesome. She was like, you're going to be at the Irvine Improv. You have to do this. And I'm like, okay. She's like, you'll have that's to go That's weird there. because Lisa's going to come over next week and paint my house. So that's... <laughs> Yeah, Lisa's the best. She, uh, I've been, I've known Lisa since like literally since I moved to Los Angeles. I met oh, her. Wow. Yeah, like right, like I think I met her like the first month I lived there, and uh, she was taking photos. Of course, she's taking photos of everyone. And at that time, I remember I became friends with her, and then we just, I don't know, we kind of just hit it off, and we, we, you know, I mean, she's been at so many integral parts of my life. Like, right, when you know, when when I started my band Wax, she yeah. was right there. When we got signed, she took the you know photos for our, our first album cover. Um, she took our first promo photo. Um, when I got married, she took photos. Oh wow, that's cool. uh, when my kids were born. She took photos. She took photos, you know, of so many of the bands on side. I mean, I think virtually almost. If she hasn't taken, you know, album covers or promo photos or, you know, the press photos for a band because, you know, she was hired, she's definitely taken a photo of every band probably on side one because mm-hmm. she'd be, you know, they'd be at the Warp Tour and she'd take a photo. Of course, yeah. You know, and, and I remember the side one office in Hollywood, I hung all the photos that she took of oh, all man. the bands. Everyone that's, from that's Flag an amazing Amalia, gallery. You know, Gaslight Anthem to Gogo Bordello, uh, tons of photos. Um just to the, it, she's really been able to document side one. So I'm, I'm a huge fan. And when she said, Hey, could you do this on Sunday? I was like, absolutely. I'm in. Well, you know, what's great uh, is that she 
basically, uh, she came on and we asked her, we usually let the guests pick uh, what the topic's going to be. So, you know, she picked uh, California songs, I think. No, she, she didn't. Oh, she we did a warp tour. Oh, like, we did a warp tour. Yes, we did a warp tour. Go thing. back and listen to it. It's episode 21. There you go. Ah. She knows. Okay, got it. Um, and actually, we were talking about, I was actually talking about wax on that. Uh, we played wax on that. We I did. Think. Yeah, we played wax on that. And I guess I'm, I'm a fan of wax I, back in the day. And she, she said, Oh, Joseph's a really good friend of mine, whatever. But she seemed to say that about everyone. And it's just, does Lisa have all these true. friends? But it, it turns out it's <laughs> true. It's She's true. like, yeah, she, everybody loves her. Yeah. So interesting story. I was playing with my band uh, two months ago it, at what was the Detroit bar. I think it's called the Wayfarer now in Costa Mesa. No joke. This really happened. She parks kind of in front of my car. Our cars are facing each other. Wasn't expecting her to be there. She was photographing. She was photo. Photography. That's the official word for it. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) She she was she was taking pictures of a a band who was opening for us, and uh, she knows everybody in my band, so we're all hanging out, talking for a minute. Anyway, that night turns out there's a shooting in the parking lot. Okay, no joke. So where Lisa was parked, she left early because you know she was done. She wanted to hang out till midnight watching you know guys she's seen a hundred times. Even though she's nice like that, she didn't want to do it. So I get it. A guy stood in her parking spot where she was, shot up my car and our trombone player's car while we were in the club. No joke. Bullet holes in the cars. And they're like, what that? Okay. I've been playing music in Orange County and LA and surrounding area for like over 20 years. I have never been, my car's never been shot at. But Lisa's like, Lisa was like, wait, are you serious? She, she sent me a link to it. She goes, did you guys know this happened at your show? I'm like, girl, that was right in, right where your car was parked. Yeah, see right there. She <laughs> said, "If you wouldn't have left, if you wouldn't have left, exactly, guy it's all your fault. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't laying blame, and I'm just saying. Okay, <laughs> had you been there, it would have this whoever he was shooting at would have ran around the cars. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, it's really good to have you here. And so our topic this week, we were, we were, you and I were talking a little bit yesterday about you know side one dummy origins, uh, but. Then we, were, we we got on the topic of uh, how did I get here, right? Like how you were kind of like, we're, we're both of the same thing where any, anytime you do anything cool, it's kind of like, wow, man, how did I get yeah, to I mean, this it's more, place? more for me, it's always like, how did this even happen? How did I get here? Um, I just, you know, for me, you know, whenever I talk, like whenever I do, you know, something like this where I get the chance to, you know, hang with nice people like you and they're like interested in side one dummy or interested in kind of the path that led to this moment in time, I'm always... I, I kind of always think like, wow, like, did that really happen? Uh, you know, it, 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 it's just this kind of almost this weird, like movie like thing where I look back on my life sometimes and I'm like, wow, you know, if, if I couldn't write it any better. And, and especially, especially with music, cause music yeah. has been such a huge part of my life, you know, even to the point to, you know, when I was little, it, it you know to to right now at this moment in time there's always there's always music has been the core of and really the driving force of anything I've done in my life I always feel like I've been super fanatical with it like I I always say I was such a fan of music that I I almost took it to the extreme where it's unhealthy but I almost feel that you have to take it to that extreme like that was the reason why a lot of the stuff that I was able to be a part of and a lot of the the um a lot of the history that I have was from that kind of no backup plan, love of music so much, love a band so much, love a scene so much that you're, you're really willing to have no backup plan. It's like, we're going to do this, you know, with or without you. And mm-hmm. I think that attitude came from, I loved punk rock so much. You know, I never, I never was into any other, 
any other style of music. And like when punk rock, when I got into punk rock, I was, you know, I was 13 years old, 14 years old. And up until that moment, I'd only listened to my parents' music. Yeah, so right. I'd, only, yeah. I'd yeah. only grown up on what they listened to. And I was in this, I was living in the Santa Cruz Mountains. So it mm. was one of those type of things where... I only Watsonville area. No, there? well, no more like more out in the redwoods and, okay. and Santa Cruz Mountains. So the music that was coming into our household was definitely what was influencing like that time and what they mm-hmm. were into. But by the time the '80s rolled around, and you know, I found bands like Circle Jerks and and of course the Ramones and the Clash and you know all of that and that whole scene of Southern California music and and discovering all that. Um, it just it had such an impact yeah. that I think honestly it had almost like such a big impact that it really, it, I didn't, I don't think anyone expected, at least I didn't, that it would be something that would impact my life so much that I would go on to like be an adult man still, right. you know, in the business right. and still, you know, working with, we're working with bands and, and having it that kind of that germ of we're you know, you love something so much that you just will do everything in your power to get that music and that, that band out to other people. Well, isn't that, that's kind of like, um, that kind of commitment that you have to that. Uh, and, and it, it's kind of like the DIY part when you, when you're a little, you're just a little bit older than I am, but in that scene, it was kind of DIY, right? Where everything was like, if it, if it's going to happen, we're going to do it. Totally. And, and why aren't we going to do it? Like totally. nobody's going to tell us we can or not. We're just going to print the flyers. And then we're going to record, we're going to pay to have the thing recorded. And then we're going to make cassettes or we're going to make vinyl, whatever we're going to make. We're going to do all this stuff and kind of make sure it happens. And that comes from that profound love. And, you know, obviously I'm a firm believer that if you are that active, you know, they say the future is decided by those who show up and participate. Right. And that's all that scene is, is participation. That's all it is, is let's do this together um, and make it happen. And, and our, you know, well, for me, I'm not going to speak for you, but for, for me, I looked at like, Ian McKay and, and like Discord and even um, even Epitaph. And oh, like, absolutely! You know, I mean, you those are all that, the, those. I mean, everyone you mentioned right there. I mean, there wouldn't be a Sidewind Dummy without Brett Gurowitz. There sure. wouldn't be a Sidewind Dummy without Ian. There wouldn't be a Sidewind Dummy without Bob Biggs at Slash yeah, Records. There right. wouldn't be uh, without oh, Greg Slash, Gannett, yeah. SST. Mm-hmm. You know, all of all of those all of those people that came way before us. You know, especially you know, like like Brett. You know, with Bad Religion sure. and everything that was so. Before, in, I mean, I could never sit here and say, oh, yeah, I wanted to start my label beca- because I came up with the idea on my own. I mean, I yeah. straight up, when when I started, you know, Side One Dummy and Bill and I, my partner Bill Armstrong, we started together. I mean, we, we are such fans of, of SST, such fans of Epitaph. We didn't know anything and what we were doing, and we were just we would look to Epitaph for everything, and then Fat yeah. Records, right? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Aaron, sure. Aaron, Aaron, and Mike at Fat Records had so much to do with helping us. You know, whether it was a phone call about, hey, how do you, you know, what accounting software do you right. use? All the way to <laughs> we like, use we use Quicken. Okay. Yeah, you know, it was like it was so many of those phone calls. Uh, and, and they were so, they were so cool, Aaron and Aaron and Mike, you know, and, and I feel super grateful because I, I felt that I don't know if any other businesses would be that open right. to people sharing I was about to ideas. say, like, that's great that yeah. they were helpful yeah. and not viewing you as competition. a competitor. Yeah. I mean, the exact, yeah, yeah. the exact quote, I think from either fat Mike or Aaron is there's plenty of punk rock for everybody. Right. Yeah. That was his quote. And to be honest, dude. 
the best businesses and in my day job, I deal with a lot of businesses and, and the best businesses come from abundance like that. Always mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. There's enough for everybody. Cause there really is, there really is enough. There's enough, you know, there's enough lawnmowers that are made. So every landscaper can do it. There's enough, you know, there's enough housing projects where every guy who does drywall can have a job. There's enough bands where a label can, can yeah. And I think, up. I think that was something that was super important when we started, uh, no one really was was pinching bands from one another, and and if you started to talk to a band, and and I, you know, especially in those earlier years, <clears throat> people were very conscientious of like, oh, you're already yeah. talking to Fat, that's cool, or hey, you're yeah. talking to Epitaph, that's cool, or hey, you're talking to Side One, you know, hey, okay, you know, you guys have something in place, so like that was that was super, that was super cool, and also I feel that because we had great labels like Epitaph and SST and, and, and fat around Bill and I really had to rise to the occasion and make our label as, as the best that we could make it. And at the time when we started, you know, and to this day, you know, we weren't, we were never two guys that like, you couldn't say, Hey, if you're on side one dummy, you know, I'm in bad religion or, Hey, if you're on side one dummy, I'm in no effects. And we didn't have that type of, offer to offer a band so right. we really had we really had to focus on hey man you know if you want to work with sideway dummy this is what we can do this is what we can't do or you know we're two guys that are super super stoked about music we have a great staff um come in meet us and what i think ended up happening was a lot of the bands would come in and they would see that everyone that worked there we've i mean anyone that ever worked at sideway dummy I, I, you know, I could say so many great things about everyone, but one thing I would say, no matter what, hands down, everyone that ever worked at Sideway Dummy was so passionate about music, like right. beyond, they were fanatics. They lived it, they breathed it. We never had anyone at the label that was just like phoning it in. Yeah. Everyone that worked at the label um, from the very beginning till now was always people that loved music. And I think what ended up happening is the bands would come in and they would see, yeah. wow, sure. man, these 12 people are super stoked on this and they're super psyched on our band. And the label becomes and an extension of yeah. what they're doing exactly. already. Exactly. It's yeah. like, cause you know, when you're in a band, you, it's kind of like us against the world mentality. Totally. Where it's, you know, we're out on the road and then we're going to book another tour and you're kind of doing all that stuff DIY anyway. Absolutely. And then when you see a label, cause trust me, I know from being on a label that wasn't like that and you go in and, and you see a, uh, you see everybody there and there's somebody in the accounting department rocking your t-shirt and then there's, you know, everybody's talking about, they know your schedule better than you do, you know, which mm-hmm. is amazing. You know, yeah. It's- yeah. And I think that, that, that was always the thing that was super important to Bill and I, that, that a band, if they came there, they did feel that we were an extension of what they're doing. And also that, that the people that were working there had that passion and that love for what the band was doing. And, and it wasn't, it was, you know, in the early years, it was really an us against them. You know, I remember, you know, all the stuff with flogging Molly, uh, that was such an us against them because at that point you know there wasn't the bands like now hearing a a fiddle or an accordion on the radio that's a common thing there's Mm because you know and i really do believe that flogging molly opened up the door for a a, folk instruments for a lot of folk instruments you know and for and for because at that point there you hadn't seen uh, a person playing violin on stage mm-hmm. right you know there was one band of course the pogues that everyone right. was you know had kind of well, but and then that and that band as big as the pogues got at the time that flag and molly came out you know and then and then saying hey we're gonna we're gonna put them on the warp tour i mean that could have went as as great as it did go it could have went the opposite direction it yeah been like wait mm-hmm. a minute who's this you know, Dave King guy, yep. what is going on? You know, and Matt Hensley, who's yeah. Hensley's a skater. What's yeah. he, what's, yeah. what's Hensley and it doing? It just was the, it was 
the thing that was great was it was really a time where I always felt like we, we, everyone at the company at that time just felt we loved Flogging Molly so much that we would have taken a bullet for the band. And, and that kind of love affair with the band is, is I really, I really believe like when those moments happen, they're so special. And, and we were able to share a lot of those moments with Flogging Molly. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, um, let's, let's play a song. So uh, you get to pick the first one. And so we're talking about like, how do we, how did you get here? And, and, you know, what song do you want to play that kind of encapsulates the early days of maybe side one or autobiographical, like whatever, whatever I mean, song for, you want. For me, like since we are talking about Sidewind Dummy, I would I would have to say, uh, you know, for Flogging Molly, I, I would have to just because at that point when, you know, Flogging Molly, we start working with them. There's this moment in time where we're we want to have a record company and we we want to sign bands, but at this point, no one's really signing to the label. And I was in Twenty Two Jacks, and Twenty Two Jacks had a really good run, but at this point now, I'm. I'm like, wow, if we're going to start a label, we, we, we just can't keep, you know, having bands that are not really connecting in that bigger way. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. And the thing that happened with Flogging Molly was I, I always felt it was such a match made, made in heaven because the bigger bands that we wanted to sign necessarily wouldn't sign to side one only because I feel that Epitaph and Fat was, was better set up. And, and probably yeah, they were of, offering things like tour support and stuff. Like well, that, not right? so much tour support, but you know, I don't know if it, it wouldn't be so much tour support. It would be like, hey, you want to go to Europe with Bad Religion? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And you know, if you offered me that and, and I'm in a band. Oh, dude, I'd, I do yeah. that right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm leaving tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving, leaving tonight, tonight if that's going to happen. Yeah. So, so I totally understood that. So by the time we, we, we started, I was you know really good friends with Matt Hensley. And by the time we started thinking about working with Flag and Molly, they had been passed on by every label. We, in a strange way, couldn't find a band to give us the shot that we needed. We knew that we knew how to sell records. We knew that we could give a band a solid foundation and a real opportunity. We just needed someone to take a chance on us. So when I, whenever I think of that band, I always think of Flag and Molly because they really, they, like Dave King said, he's like, you know what? It, it is a match made in heaven because we need someone to give us a shot and you need someone to give you a shot. Perfect. And, you know, we put out Swagger and, and that was great. But it really all, for me, it always comes together with uh, Drunken Lullabies and uh, awesome. if, I, if I Ever Leave This World Alive. That oh, song, awesome. to me, uh, really always hits a nerve. Uh, you know, I'll see him play it live to this day. And, it, you know, it always, it always makes me stop in my tracks and, and listen to the whole song. And, and I feel also that this was a song that we really started to get some momentum back in the day at radio and it really opened up uh, a lot of people's eyes and ears to like wow this band is a force they're, yeah right they're a band to be reckoned with and and it was more not just the tuesday night of molly malone exactly this is something more than that. yeah this yeah. is something bigger and uh, i love this song all right, all right drunk lullabies listen. right all right I'm drunk and lullabies if i ever leave this world alive if I ever leave this world alive, I'll come back down and sit beside your feet tonight. Wherever I am, you'll always be more than just a memory. If I ever leave this world were in Vegas. It was like one of my first times in Vegas and it was, I've never felt so welcomed into an audience and so welcomed into a crowd and just had the most fun I've ever had at a show yeah. before. And it was yeah. a Foggy Molly show. Yeah. I love yeah. it. They definitely, 
uh, that was the, the, the thing that I always, the thing that everyone always would say about Flag and Molly is like, even if you weren't Irish, by the end of the show, you're like, I think I'm Irish. I think I'm Irish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I'm Irish. And you know what? It, it, it's, it's funny that you, you get Flag and Molly, right? And then years and years later, you a band like Skinny Lister on the mm-hmm. label, who was another one of those. I mean, Great you ever band. been to a Skinny Lister show? I was at South by Southwest with uh, Julia's husband, actually. Um, you might playing. know John Halperin. You know John oh, Halperin? Oh, yeah. yeah. Know John. Last House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. That's your, John's your husband? Yep. Oh my God, I've known him forever. I know. We're wow. talking about you today. Did he say good things? Oh, of course. Wow. That's he was crazy. supposed to come by and he was like, he had work he had to Yeah, he just wow. flew in uh, from Europe yesterday, so he's pretty out of it today. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God, I've known John forever. I know. I think he like booked wax shows back in the day. Yeah. I think, he yeah, I think so. I think that's what we were talking about. Oh, mm-hmm. oh my God. Well, we were talking about a comp. Actually, Julia, you're going to pick a song. I uh, am. It's a good segue for you. So, Joe, you and I have something in common. We yes. were on Halperin's comp together yep which my, one my... um Halperin had a record label called vegas records yep. where he put out punk versus ska round one. Oh, okay i remember that and 22 jacks was on it we are okay yep. okay wait, are we um is it the song c it's uh swallow swallow yeah there we go. yeah yeah that was like right when we made that record yeah so i'm what gonna go is this the 97 probably. Damn. This was 97, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, if my band was on there, my, I was in a band called My Superhero, and we were on the same oh, thing. Yeah, because I loved that song. You guys did Groovy Kind of Love. We did, yeah. yeah. We did a cover song wow. for that. And I love ska comps. Ska oh, comps yeah. were my thing. Or comps <laughs> yeah. in general, because that's just how I learned about bands. Oh, right, so absolutely. So for 3.99 or 4.99, pick up, you know, 30 songs. Why yeah. not? That was yeah, my... Yeah. I still have all of those. Yeah, that was like the original uh, playlist. Yeah, totally. Comp, yeah, know, those were exactly. those were your mixtapes. Yeah, totally. That's probably where I got it from cuz that's just what I love listening to. But So you're going to play that? Yeah, let's play 22 Jacks Swallow. Awesome. So that's the first 22 Jack song I ever heard. Yeah, yeah. first song we ever wrote. Oh, was it? Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, first song Steve, that. Uh, that was Steve Soto and I wrote that. And that was like... Give some background so that people know if they don't know. Yeah, about, 22, about Jacks 22 Jacks was after... The first band I was in when I moved to Los Angeles, um, I, I joined a band called Wax. And we... That was three guys from Chicago. And I met them in Hollywood. And we got signed... Uh, probably like early, uh, I think it was like 91 we got signed. Yeah. Uh, and we made it. was a, a very indie sounding album for that time. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it with Daniel Ray and we did it, I remember we got signed to Caroline, but they did this thing where. Oh, Vir- that's a great label at that time too. Yeah. They had so yeah. many great acts there. Yeah, so Virgin actually owned Caroline. So then that was why we recorded the record here in LA. At the, they had this, it was funny though, they had this studio. And this was Wax. Wax had they had this studio that um, was on the lot of Virgin Records, but it really wasn't a studio as much as like a place to like demo songs acoustically or something. Okay, cool. But like they they we wanted to record our record there, so we did our record, the first Wax record there. <clears throat> and then while I was in Wax, um, you know, I'd always been really really good friends with Steve Soto since I was like a little kid. I mean, when the adolescence came to Northern California, I was 
I was probably like 18 or 19 when I met Steve. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was an adolescence reunion. So it was like the original lineup. Oh, that's cool. And I was super just like adolescence blue record as, you know, everyone. That was such I always say that's the blueprint. That's like a blueprint for every modern punk record. Like anybody who's on... Who was on Fat? Was on Epitaph? Anything that that Blue record is kind of mm-hmm. like the the template, right? Uh, yeah, it's so good. I mean, for me, you know, for me, it was it was more just uh, it really resonated lyrically and musically. Right. And uh, Tony was like one of my favorite singers at that point. I was just like, wow, like this guy. So I mean, and then they had you know they had kind of had this weird career where like they played, but like no one you know they broke up so soon. So there was this whole period you know that they weren't around so when they got back together i i was like i gotta you know i gotta yeah see this band and then i was in a band at the time and we opened up for them a few times and i just would always i just right away i met steve and I met rick agnew and then i became really good friends with steve so i met i was friends with steve from like you know i probably met him when i was like i want to say like you know, it was like 86 you know i was probably wow. like 19 <laughs> 18 years old and uh we just became really good friends and then you know the thing that was always so great about Steve was, you know, he would give his phone number to anybody and yeah. him and I, him and I just, you know, when I lived up in San Jose, I would call him and we would just talk on the phone and, and catch up about music and talk about new records and talk about bands. And, and then, you know, he would, they'd come up and I'd open up for them. And he was just always someone that was just such a good friend. You know, when my band opened up for the Ramones, I remember he was there. He was like when so many interest like when wax got signed he was there he was always just a part of everything that that i had done musically so when when my band wax ended and i wanted to start a new band he was the first he it was it was it was the like first person wasn't even it wasn't even a thought right it wasn't even a thought i just called him and said hey man i want to start a band i want to start it with you and he's like let's do it and at the time it was just me and him and a bunch of song ideas and we didn't i remember we went i remember for some reason we went to um my dad was living in Stockton and I remember I was in LA and I was like, yeah, we need to go and like really sit down and write like these songs and get it all together. And then we'll, we'll put the together like a band around the songs. And I remember we went up to Stockton and um, we, we drove up there and we stayed at my dad's house for like three days. And I remember we just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And one of the first songs that we got out of it was that song Swallow. And then we came back to LA and then it was just like, Hey, who, you know, who else should, will, would we play with? And, um, we got Sandy who was the drummer in the adolescence. And then I reached out to Chris Shiflett and then Scott Shiflett, Jason Cropper, who yeah. used to be in Weezer, mm-hmm. started writing with those guys. And then, uh, a friend of mine from San Jose who was in my first band, uh, this guy named Bill Franza started, you know, talking to him about writing songs together. And then I just started writing songs like with all these people that like I always had admired mm-hmm. and before we knew it, we had that uncle Bob, all the songs together. And it was like, okay. And that was the first it. release on side that was one. The, that was the first, you know, the first real release on side one, you know, my well, partner and I always say, it's like, it's, it's 22 jacks. And then I would say right around that same time as the swinging utters more right. scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a, that was a, um, which was a big record. Yeah. It was a big, that big was, record. and that was a big deal for us because at that point, swinging utters, I believe had, they were on new red, Ar- uh, new red archives. And then they were going to fat records. And this record that we put out by the swinging utters, that was the first record of a band that like, like I wasn't in, like it was something yeah, like, Hey, right. these are other people. We're going to kind of adds legitimacy to it. Right. Exactly. It's like, this is my, this and is it our... was like, it was a, that record was, 
for swing adders, it was all these uh, seven inches and all this other material that didn't make, and they had an idea. They're like, hey, we just want to do one release of all that. Right. So that's mm -hmm. why it's called uh, More Scared. Well, you know, let, let's do this then. Uh, my turn, so yep. I'll do a swing and udders song. Go for it. Yeah, let's do, uh, where'd it go? So yeah, we'll do uh, Reggae Gets Big in a Small Town by the Swing and Udders off a of More Scared uh, Side One Dummy release. Yes. Here it is. I'm expending my last energy at the pillow Cause I'm seldom seen like a fish is swimming upstream A perfect picture I found in a dream A chop and move punches soft as whipped cream I'm written torn but never on the scene I'm spinning shade, hey, screech and stop I'm pressing on shock button This is just my dreams go down They never come Yeah. Really cool. So reaction. You've heard that song before, right? Yeah. And Swinging Utters, like, again, it's one of those bands you always hear people talking about. Yeah. Again, you see the shirts everywhere. Oh, totally. Like, they're just... I grew up with... The thing The thing that's that's crazy is that... So the singer Johnny P. Bucks, or Johnny Bennell, and the original bass player, Kevin Wickersham, mm -hmm. we all went to Catholic school together. Oh, crazy. Yeah. First through eighth grade, Good Shepherd, and Santa Cruz. So we're... We I've known Johnny and Kevin since um, I I think fifth grade is when like we all met each other. So I was wow. there like first through fourth, and then I, I want to say Johnny and uh, Kevin come in in fifth grade, and so we become best friends. And Kevin was super music like he had older brother or older sisters, and then Johnny ha had the same thing like he had like an older brother, older sisters. But like me on the other hand, like I'm you know I'm listening to my parents' music, yeah. so. What was cool was as we got older, it, you know, we like right around seventh grade, you know, we started listening. You know, Kevin Wickersham is like, dude, you know, check out the Ramones or, you know, Johnny's like, check out the Kinks. And I remember like, we like the Who and we're like, oh, wow. You know, and I'd go over to Johnny's house and like his brother had like a real stereo and would let us go upstairs and they played records. And yeah. we'd just be like, man, this is so cool. And it was so foreign to me. And then as we got older, I remember, you know, punk rock. We started getting into punk rock, but like we were just little kids. And I remember it, it might have been like the summer eighth grade or something like that. And there was there was this famous flea market in Santa Cruz, and they might still have it. It was at this drive-in called Skyview, and they would during the day on a Saturday, everyone comes in and they sell you know all the stuff that you sell at a flea market. And I remember we would go down there all the time, and we're all little kids. And I remember we were walking through the flea market. And we found um, this guy, and he was selling all these cassettes. And one of the cassettes was the first record of The Clash. Oh, wow. And cool. I remember it's the first record, just The Clash. And, like, we're looking at it, and I, I remember, like, it was three bucks. So we each put in a buck, and the idea was that we would share the cassette. Yeah. And it was like, all right, man, you know, let, let, let's share it. And I remember they're like, okay, who gets it first? And I go, oh, I'll get it for the first week. And I remember I never gave it back. Like I was just <laughs> so into it. And, and we always talk about that because at that moment, you know, then like we all went on to high school and then I, you know, I ended up moving away and they all lived in Santa Cruz. And then I went on to start my band. And then, at, you know, right around that time period, Johnny and, and Kevin start the Swinging Utters. And it just, it's, it's crazy to think that like we kind of all discovered punk rock at the same time. At the same moment. Like literally yeah. at the same moment. Like but, what's this? I, you know, and it's crazy that how many stories, I have similar stories like that with guys that I've been in friends with that are all in bigger bands and, and it's, it's nuts that, but I guess it's kind of like the birds of a feather rule, right? Like you all kind of have something in common and you're all seeking this out. You're all seekers. Like you're seeking this stuff yeah. out actively. And in those days, and we've said it a lot on the podcast, like you had to be committed 
right? Oh, to, totally. You had, to, you had to, like, go and order the out of um, Smash Hits or NME or mm-hmm. whatever it was and get the and get your mom to write a money order and send away for the for the, for the the uh, import. And then you get it. And it might be a Black Flag thing. You're like, oh, man, I don't like this. But you would listen. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to listen to it. It was 30 bucks or it was yeah. $18, which is a lot of money back yeah. then, you know? And so you kind of get committed to it. And it's these kind of these kind of searchers are out there and they all kind of glom together you know and and it's it's no wonder that you know i went to high i went to the same high school you know this no doubt and yeah. and you know we were all into ska we were all into punk rock we were all into the stuff and we might have been you know a group of 40 kids maybe that would go to shows and go to you know little clubs and stuff and then the safe ferris guys are from there as well and i'm a band with those guys now it's like we all kind of stuck together and we were all searchers, all searching out this stuff. And it's similar with you. And it's a similar story with everyone. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Look at like, like DC. We were talking about Ian McKay earlier and Discord. It's like, what, you think that happened by accident? No, these were all searchers. They all got together in the rights of spring. They want to put a record out. And then, you know, oh, Bad Brains comes through. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Get these guys on. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that was, that was kind of, I always, um, so it was when we ended up working with Swinging Outers and doing that record, it was, it was super cool that, that the two guys that, I grew up with had this band and then it was super cool that they were able to say, Hey, you know what? We'll, we'll let you put out the full length. That was a really big deal. That's great. Yeah, That's that was really a huge cool. deal for us. Well, Hey man, you're up. So what's the, what's, what's the next song you want to play? Um, uh, we did swing and utter, so we could do a different, a different, you could do any, any band you want, but you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, you know, we're, we're talking so much about, I think music and, and, and I think it's for me, whenever, when it, for me, whenever I think of, you know, starting side one dummy and and going, yeah, you know, I want to be in a band, and it, it, I, I I always have to say like it's it's got to go all the way back to like I think it's interesting like what the core of it was because um, for me, you know, the band that I think really like changed everything for me and and made me go from like my parents' music and being a kid that was like, you know, I I think I want to play basketball. Okay, I'm not good at that and. You know, I started skateboarding a lot, and that really changed my life because that was something I was actually good at. Yeah. And then <clears throat> music and skateboarding kind of went hand in hand, but I would really sure. say, like, for me, the thing that put me on the map to, like, get me to here at this moment in time is the band that changed everything for me would be the Ramones. Awesome. Yeah, and I would say, you know, the thing that that I loved so much about the Ramones was you know, I really thought, like as a kid, I really thought they were brothers when I first seen them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> when I first too. Yeah, them. same. You know, and I and I and I loved the way they looked, and I loved everything about them. But I also loved like how simple it was, like mm-hmm. the simplicity of it. I'm a super, I'm a neat freak, so like I love how it's just short, tight, to the point. You know, right there. Yeah. Um, but one of the thing, the one of the things that I I always loved was um, it's alive and it's it's the live record from their trip to Europe from their first time they ever go to England. It's like New Year's Eve. I want to say like 1976 or something like that. And um, it's the first song on their uh, Rockaway Beach. And the thing awesome. I love about this particular song, and you know, and obviously like the bands that are there's so many bands in my life that are so important to me. But if I'm to go back to like okay. Where, where, if you made a graph, where does it start? And it would definitely be with like this song and this version of it because it's them live. And I love how you hear the crowd and then the, the band comes out on stage and you can, you can, you know, at the time there's no video. So you're just listening and you're like, what's going to happen? And then you hear, you hear Dee Dee like kind of test the mic and then you hear Johnny like give a big old, you know, 
downstroke on the guitar to make sure it's working, and then you hear Joey, hey, we're the Ramones, and it's great yeah. to be here. This one's called Rockaway Beach. So awesome. That, to me, is the gateway. Rockaway right. Beach uh, from It's Alive from the Ramones. Here it is. Alfredo and everybody at RCA Records. Let me Yeah, that Ramones one, dude, that's a good choice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's definitely the gateway for me. Well, I think it's, I don't want to say this in a rude way. It's easy listening punk. And so I think it's a lot of people can get into yeah. Is that okay. the wrong thing now, to say? Now, now it is, I think. I and think now, then yeah, it was yeah. very rebellious. I yes. think then it oh, yeah. was like... I mean, yeah. No, but the thing is, is that like, I mean, there's a reason why like when I would listen to the Ramones, like my dad wouldn't get bummed because it was just really them playing like 50s and 50s riffs faster. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it was very... Were your parents into like rock and roll or were no, they into... No, okay. No, my parents were... My parents' music like was important, but not not like it was for me. But so they're more like Neil was, Diamond and stuff? Yeah, back yeah, in those I days. would say Neil Diamond, you know, like Neil Diamond, Beatles, Frank yeah, Sinatra, okay. same, same as Martin. Yeah. Same Did as they mine. have a problem with your newfound no, like not, punk? No, you know, I think, um, I think they always thought it was just going to be a phase. Yeah. You know? Well, and, plus this is the Santa Cruz Mountains this guy lives yeah, in, so yeah. Yeah. No, no, more progressive got, Yeah, but by the time I got into punk rock, though, like I was already like, I, my, my parents had gotten separated, so I lived with my dad in San Jose, which is 40 minutes Got it. Yeah. South or north of uh, Santa Cruz. So I was going to, you know, I was living with him. I was going to a bigger high school. My mom was living more. Now we didn't live in the, you know, the woods anymore. We lived, she lived in like uh, more of like the city part of Santa Cruz. So, right. so by the time I, you know, showed up with like spiky blonde hair and, you know, got, went down that road, they, you know, it was just like, okay, I guess this is what Joey's into. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it just, but they all they also knew that I was like really into it. Like I was really into the music. And I was I mean, all I did every weekend was go to a show. I mean, that's right. all from the time I was from the time I was probably I would say fifteen till you know, just till now, like I was always at a show. Like especially fifteen to like, you know, all through high school, every weekend. Right, because yeah. I was just in the right place at the right time uh-huh. when, when like it was the first wave of like GBH coming over you know, GBH came over from England, Peter and Test Two Babies, uh, Exploited. Explo- yeah, uh, you know, I saw the Minor Threat Tour, the only time they ever came out on the West Coast, uh, you know, Seven Seconds. And then all the, all the like the Hermosa Beach, like the LA Yeah, I mean, I was there, there, you know, I, I was, I was, you know, I saw Circle Jerks, you know, with the original lineup. Uh, uh, that, like, Keith Morris is probably my, if I was to pick one singer, you know, from that era of the 80s. Yeah. You know, as much as I, you know, when I think of like Joe Strummer and, and obviously Joey Ramone and Dave Vaney and those guys are, right. you know, they're kind of, they're icons. Whereas like, if I'm going to get to like, you know, the my favorite front man, front man of a, of a band, it would be definitely Keith Morris. Like I just, he's still and, dynamic. Him and the Circle like... Jerks were just, that was, you know, that whole, that whole, I, I love them. And that was one of the first bands I got to go on tour with. So cool. yeah, Keith Morris, that era, the early 80s. I just loved him so much. And awesome. he, was, he was just, I loved, I loved that he didn't look punk rock, but he was so just bratty and punk rock. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And and the fact, like, off, and, so, and some of the newer projects, 
anything he's in, he's he definitely that. Anytime anybody a, a label executive or an A and R guy would be like at a major label would say like, oh, there's just something magnetic about the guy. Oh, totally. The real front man persona, and that guy absolutely is. Right. And there's no way around it. There's, yeah, he's there's like no he's competing. also like a walking encyclopedia about totally. music. Yes, yeah. I love like that Rollins. Album. Rollins is like that too. Oh, where yeah. it's like where it's like you know these guys both two opposite ends of the coin, but kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. It's like dynamic yeah. uh, magnetic guys that are just inside but I would the- I would agree with you with like the Ramones like it's definitely it was definitely I think that's maybe that's why it's a gateway band for mm-hmm. a lot of people back then yeah right you know, mm-hmm. going to going to kind of like that's the first that's the first appetizer of a long list of bands you're going to check yeah. out well so you're Julia you're up what's uh what side one band do you got so I'm going to play a newer side one band a band that I really like and hard for me to discover new music nowadays. Like I feel like I'm stuck with the same bands that I yeah. listen to all the time. Um, but Pup is a band that Great. I love listening to. Love that band. Um, so let's go ahead and play DVP. band i enjoy i no, they're cool. feel like i i saw them at, live i think i did at rip. south by i feel rip. like it must have been a south by thing because that's where they sound like they burn the place down wait, wait, yeah. did you see him at south by southwest like did you see him after like because the first time i ever saw him was at south by southwest in front of like seven people yeah i'm and pretty it was, like, sure it was really really small show it was mm-hmm. like a bar mm-hmm. and, then, and that uh, and i then love made, that about yeah, south by though yeah uh, and then we started working with them and mm-hmm. then they just blew up. Yeah. So Joe, was that part of your was that part of like side one's thing? Would you go to South by all the time, kind of to discover? By that bands, point, or? we were already we were already working with Pup by the oh, gotcha. by the time mm. I'd seen them play. Um, but yeah, we never signed. You know, we never. The thing about South by Southwest, as much as I love it, I never went down there and, and was like, oh my god, I just discovered this band. Right. and We're going to work with them. It was everybody that was playing was already signed. Everyone that was and, playing. And that's was what I've kind of noticed. Through everyone that was playing, you know, at a certain point. I mean, I love South by Southwest, but. It, it really never was a destination to find new music. If anything, sure. it was a destination for us to bring bands from, from side one down there. It was like mm-hmm. a spring showcase, right? Show. Or it was exactly. like, Here, here's had, what it is. Yeah, we had great shows. You know, we had, I remember one year it was like MXPX, Gogo Verdello, uh, Flogging Molly, you know, all in the same bill. Just, you know, awesome. Gaslight yeah. Anthem, just big shows and lots of people, and, and, and it was fun. But yeah, by that point, with. When I think of South by Southwest, I just think of like, hey, we're going down there to drink a million beers, eat barbecue, yeah. Yeah. see some of our bands, hang out. And yeah, exactly. Like and then, you know, you'll go across town to see whoever else's bands that are playing their 15-minute exactly. yeah. set exactly. or whatever it is. Yeah. No, it, seriously, I, I went, um, I've been a couple of times, but I went, I, walking by a, like a bowling alley and Frank Turner's playing in the window. Yeah. It's like, that's the, that's how Southwest yeah. is like, oh, here's this guy that's amazing, yeah. and he's got his 10 minutes here in the window of a bowling alley. It's yeah. crazy. Did you guys see Paloma Faith in a we church? Don't, we saw Paloma Faith in a church. Yeah. And you know, I that just kind of, I was just in Austin last week, and uh, I drove by the church with Christina, I'm like, I saw Paloma Faith there, and she goes, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I love her. Let's, let's keep it going. Yeah. Um, I actually, I was surprised... Uh, 
because I'm a fan of side one. I'm a fan of all the bands that, that Joe's talked about. But I didn't know this band was on side one until yesterday, and I actually bought this uh, CD when it came out in like the. It's not a CD. Or, seven yeah, inch. It was seven. Yeah, yeah seven never, inch. Yeah. This is and, one of the because we did when, what we pressed. It was like four seven inches. I think one was like screw thirty two. Yeah, screw thirty two. I have on. Five, it was screw red 32, five. Red five. I have red five. I was gonna play them too. That's and crazy. This, <laughs> um, and then this chopper one. Chopper one. Yeah. So this one, uh, chopper one. Um, uh, uh, Cropper was the guitar player from Jason uh, Cropper. Jason Cropper was a cro- guitar. He was also in in one of your twenty two jacks. jacks. Yeah, yeah. He, Jason was. Yeah, I mean him. The reason him and I became friends was we we were both like, I got I got asked to leave Wax and he had already gotten asked to leave Weezer, so there was a brief moment in time where what I, wanted, a I wanted to start like, a band. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I go, we should start a band called Kicked Out. You know? <laughs> well, but what I loved about Jason though was he was like he. The thing about Jason was he was like way more mature in handling everything than like I was. And like by the time like he had, you know, the Weezer thing had kind of like come and gone. Um, by the time we started working together, I, it was, it was what I loved working about with working with Jason Cropper was he taught me, you know, at this point I'd been in wax for a long time and, and made records. But by the time I started 22 Jacks, so I, I knew how to write songs. I knew how to. You know kind of what I wanted to go for but what I learned from Jason was he he was he was really good at taking like an idea and seeing it all the way through and and at that point with 22 jacks he really was in, instrumental in us demoing out all of our songs like he had he had just gotten the gear and he mm-hmm. was really into like hey I'll record that for you hey I'll mix that down um you know he taught he we worked a lot on like doubling vocals and and all the demos we did he did them all and um and then we wrote uh we wrote a song called c together and we wrote another song called so now you know and um yeah and, and working with him was great so when he was in chopper one and i just started the label it, it kind of it just fit it yeah. just kind of fit. he's in chopper one with his wife I'm yep correct right yep. he okay. was in with his with his wife amy i don't think they're together anymore okay. but like he he was also one of those dudes that was like Busted out a kid like super young. Oh yeah, like yeah, right, you know, right. like I remember I was so like, his kids now like in oh his kids like, like late late twenties yeah late twenties like full adult and he's but probably I, like a you know he's got his own band now oh yeah, yeah he's, he's just, in Mumford it's actually so it's he great. has a daughter <laughs> he actually had a daughter okay but I remember though but I you know like I remember looking back on it like I was like probably twenty four something and I'm like dude you got a kid that's so gnarly right and he, but he was like once again mature like yeah I do I'm a dad. Yeah, I and like, I still wow. have it. So. All right, well, so here, here, here is Jason Cropper's band uh, called Chopper One. We'll play that right now. I took a trip once, I was 13. Thought I wasn't lucky, but I guess it doesn't mean much. I was a new kid, wasn't in the cool bunch. Rode the bus to school, and I had to eat the free lunch. There was some girls who said I was corroded, didn't have the cooties, but my ego just fall dead. That would dance. I loved it. Yeah, Thank I you know, for playing that. It's right up your alley, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny is we were t- I was talking to Joe yesterday, just to the listening audience, and and I said, dude, I found Chopper One, I found all these bands, and he goes, he goes, Well, if your podcast appeals to people like who like alternative music that are in their fifties, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
34 going on 34 going, going on, on 60. 60. That's Julia yeah. for, for sure. Yeah, instead of 21 and over, this is a 41 and yeah, over podcast. 41 and totally. over podcast. So we know our demographic. Yeah, we know our demo. It's fine. And you know what? We're fine with that. That's yeah. weird, dude, because you run it up. I have like red five on my list. I have no knife on my list because these are all things that were on comps. And back then, a lot of people weren't taking a chance. Like Red 5 signed a great record deal. Yeah, Interscope. But, yeah, to Interscope, and they were a big record. Uh, I remember I worked, I was doing a demo for somebody, and Red 5 walked in, they knew the producer, and they walked in the studio, and they're like, oh, you guys sound great. You sound like Weezer, Ska Weezer. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is cool. And they sat there for like two hours and listened to us. It's like, this is really super cool. But that's how the scene was back then. It was like, it was kind of like, People were interested in things, and they would just kind of come in and hang out and, and chill. And well, know. and also like it's it's strange to think about getting signed. Like that right, was definitely yeah, exactly. Like, like when you're saying, you know, like Red Five signed to signed to Interscope, or you know, and I mean, I just <coughs> getting signed now. Like I mean, obviously, I just I I sometimes wonder with bands. There's so much. There, like what I love is that you know you, you can be a band today, record. And get your music out. Right. And you don't need no, a label no per gate. se. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, I, I think if you're, you know, I, like, because people always say to me, they'll ask me, like, oh, my God, how, how are you guys still a label? And then I always say, try putting out your own record. You know? Yeah, like, right. It sucks. Cause, and, yeah. I, and I'm not saying that facetiously, but, oh, my gosh, like, what what you have to do. I know a friend recently that he, and he's in a huge band, and he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my own record this time. I'm going to do it all myself. And he did a whole you know, year long run with it and did everything. And then I was recently talking to a buddy that talked to him and he said, that he talked to me, he said, I'll never do that again. Yeah. No, and it you sucks. almost have to do it. You know, like, like now, you know, for people that are like, yeah, I'm going to record something. I'm going to throw it up on SoundCloud. I'm going to throw it up and we're going to see what happens. Okay, cool. I'm saying like, if you're going to say, Hey, I'm going to start a band and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to pay my rent yeah. and try to make and this distribute a record yeah. and do mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. And I'm going to try to make this my career. So it's like, okay, cool. So you're one person and, 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 and how are you going to, you know, I remember it's even down to the point of just the hours in the day to, you know, and I've worked with some of the best publicists in the world. Their job is such a thankless job, but they're yeah, for so sure. integral, uh, you know, whether, and then also I feel that, um, you know, the bookers, uh, they have to book, you know, that are out there booking bands, putting together artwork, putting together the songs. Now, the one thing I do love is that you can you could make a record now. I mean, look at the gear that we're recording. Yeah, on right exactly. Now. Mm-hmm. Got a laptop to, and a yeah, yeah. We used to have fortune. to go to a studio and pay a guy two hundred dollars an hour to do this. Now you don't. I love that aspect of it. But what I what I uh, do feel is still important is that I feel that like you know when you're an artist, you need you need to hear. Um, and, and, and people might disagree with this, but I've always been a fan of like, I want to, I want to hear, um, thoughts and ideas from other people mm-hmm. around me. Um, and, and that's, that's important to me. And I feel yeah, like when right. Bill and I signed a band, you know, to this day, we never, we never, I don't, I mean, maybe a couple bands we would ask for demos from like, Hey man, you know, can you demo what we're going to do? But the, there's bands like, do you know how many times, you know, Gaslight Anthem or, or Flaggy Molly or bands? would just go into the studio and, you know, we would never even ask to hear the demos. Like they, right. they had just demos them. because they were writing them for themselves, yeah. but you trusted them. Yeah. There's only been one time I remember we did that theory and after that, 
the band was like, we're going to go in this direction. And then we were like, I don't think it's a good idea. But if you want to do that, go for it. And then it didn't go well. But, there. but partially then, that's you know, part of the collaboration. Like, you got to listen. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of the collaboration. It kind of is. About, and if, right? you, if you sign a band, at least like the reason they're signing the side one is because they don't want Bill and Joe in there saying, hey, where's the radio right. song? Mm-hmm. Or hey, what's the, you know, we got to get on this playlist. Like, sure, if those things happen, cool. But for the most part, uh, I, I just feel that, um, yeah, the, 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 where it is now, there's so many good things technology-wise. I love that. But I do feel that um, that's just my personal opinion. And I know that there's probably people listening and going, you know what? You don't need a label. You don't need this. And you know what? If you can do it all on your own, I love it. I just know that you know, in, in my growing up, I've been in the music business since, you know, since I was, I would say, 17. And now I'm 52. And I would say that I've only met probably three people that were able to do it all in my entire career. And we all know their names. Yeah, you know what Mike I mean? Gerowitz, Ian McKay, yeah, exactly. And it used to be Fat Mike. Fat Mike, you yeah. Know? And when yeah. I say used to be Fat Mike, I don't mean that he's not, but he has Aaron, and Aaron right. writes the label. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, it would be different if, if you said, well, Joe, you know, what about these other ten people? And I'd be yeah, like, sure. oh, you're right. But, you know, when, when, when Brett was, you know, running Bad Religion and doing epitaph and still touring you know that's 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 a lot going on Ian, the same thing so yeah for me um i feel like you always you need a team of people sure around yeah. you i just think the team now doesn't need to be as wide as it used to be mm-hmm. yeah right you know? right awesome. but uh that's just that's just my but you always thoughts. need the other ear that's just yeah ear. i like i like having yeah. another year ear. yeah for sure another year I like having another year. No, I like having another year just of getting people's thoughts and perspective. That's yeah, my... totally. Well, yeah, and, and uh, it's like we've all heard that story. Uh, it's kind of famous in the music business of like Ween, like getting signed and then recording a country record against what, what their label wanted them to record, right? They, they I never to... heard that story. Yeah, so that's the story I heard was that Ween gets signed. They finally get their, their big deal, and uh, what they basically recorded a country record and brought it back to the label, and the label was bummed. Like, oh, yeah. no, we wanted this. We wanted... We wanted, wanted we, yeah, we wanted we, we wanted what we signed you as, and they're like, well, we are ween, and this is what it is, you know, and that kind of a thing. And I think that uh, with labels themselves, it's like when you're a label like Side One or any independent label, you got to know, you got to have that collaboration, right? We're all in this together. Let's get in this together and kind of figure it but out. But you also have to trust the yeah, artist. That's my yeah. point. I got to be honest. Like, I don't point. know how much of a collaboration it is sometimes. Like, it could be a collaborate. Like, it it it's. I think by the time you start working with the band, you already know before you sign them if it's going to be a collaboration. That's my point. That's my point. My point is that kind of happens in the, oh, we want to sign this band yeah. phase, right? You can, you, you can pick up and on And then it's you trust them. <clears throat> yeah. That. I would definitely say that. Like, there's, I've been so fortunate for the artists that I worked with and, and God put records out with that, you know, I, they are, I felt always respected if I had yeah. ideas, thoughts, I could run it by the band. And sometimes... Sure. The band would be like, yeah, man, you know what? I really like that. You know, you're right. Let's do that. Or, you know what? We're not really feeling that. And right. I always had, I always used to say, hey, man, I just, you know, no idea is a bad idea. I mean, like any band that's ever worked with me that would say, yeah, he says that a lot. Because I would always say, hey, I got an idea. But check it out. No idea is a bad idea. What do you think about this? And yeah. a lot of times they'd be like, that's great. Trust me, dude. I was on a label where they wanted us <clears> to record a big country song. And it, it we spent two days of studio time doing it at Ocean Way, which was ridiculous. And then... The band wasn't into it, and then at the end, the label wasn't into it. I'm like, dude, we wasted two days. Oh, God. You know what I mean? It's like, keep your ideas out of this. Like, yeah. You know, we, we know what we're doing in here, okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's crazy. You bring up, like, so the 59 Sound, the Gaslight Anthem, yep. I want to make sure we bring that up when we're For talking sure. about side one. 
um, not telling you what to play or anything. <laughs> I'm but I'm, I'm like, you can't really talk about side one and not bring that record. Exactly up. right. I mean, It'd that be weird. It was, it was a great that 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 record is a great example of like right. I don't know if it's a timing thing as that meets the talent and the opportunity at the time with Brian Fallon. Uh, that that album was so great. So how did they? How did that ended up? How did you end up signing a, a band like Gaslight? And and you know, um, what was what was it like? I to would kind say of get that, you know, record out the thing that the the thing about working with Gaslight Anthem was <clears throat> it was a classic example like right place, right time. Yeah, um, right. I always say surfing had a lot to do with signing them, and people are always like, how did surfing have anything to do with it? And it, it really did because uh, they had played a show in Glendale. Oh, cool. And uh, Glendale, California. And it was this place called like The Scene, I think it used to be. Yeah, it was kind of your own. And it was literally that show was literally because I live in Glendale. That show was like, you know, maybe two miles away from my house. So my partner, Bill, goes, hey, man, I'm going to go check out this band, Gaslight Anthem. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And he goes, yeah, they're playing, you know, two miles from your house. And I'm like, uh, whatever happens, kids are young at that point. You know, I, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, tell me how it is. So Bill goes to the show and sees him in front of like maybe 15 people that night. Next day, he's like, dude, I, I really, really need you to see Gaslight Anthem. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. And, and, and I'm like, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, damn it. They were just two miles away from my house. He goes, well, tonight they're playing in San Diego. And I'm like, really? And I go, all right. And I'll never forget. I'm like, I'm, it's like, you know, it's like a Tuesday or whatever, or whatever day of the week it is. And I go... Oh, you know what I'll do? I'll grab a board and I'll go surf. And then I'll hang out and then I'll make the rest of the drive to San Diego. So because I wanted to go surfing, not because I wanted to go see Gaslight I was like, you know, I got to see him. How but... many times does somebody say, go see this band? And you're like, okay, yeah, great. I've seen a lot no, of No, but it was yeah. like, at that point I was like, and it's no diss on them, but it was yeah, just right. like, it was like, all right. So I go, I surf San Onofre. I get down to the show. They play in San Diego. There's no one there. There's probably like, probably like maybe, you know, five, 10 people there. And they just, I was just like, killed it. Oh yeah. my God, they killed it. And I was supposed to spend the night in San Diego that night, but I couldn't go to sleep. I, I literally got, and I remember I, I couldn't go to sleep and by like two in the morning, I'm like, I'm going back to LA. I called my partner and I was like, dude, this band, like I, I, we have to work with this band. And he was right. like, yeah, the, the, that's good to hear Joe. But like, yeah, you, me and everyone wants to work with this band. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, I guess dude, everyone is, Everyone's already interested. And I was like, damn it. I was like, all right. And then what ended up happening was I just was like, I, you know, that night I met Brian, I met Benny, I met the Alexes. And like that night I just, I sat in their van in San Diego after they played and we just talked or we just talked and hung out and we really had a connection. And, you know, and honestly, you know, Brian and I just, we just became friends. And then yeah, I right. got his number and then we started, you know, texting each other and then talking and then it kind of it kind of left really the idea of us working together possibly as as a label and as an artist and it just turned more into like we would just you know be talking about different songs, different bands, different artists and then what ended up happening was the more and more we started to talk, um, I remember I ran into them in like Austin and and I was like, you know, you know what's going on and and they were still at that point still touring and kind of figuring out what they were going to do and then finally you know i said look just you know can you come out to side one dummy you know we'll bring you out to la just come and hang out and and i really think like once you meet the people that are there and once you kind of see what you know the, the what vibe, we're about yeah the vibe of, yeah. that we have right. i think you'll really really dig it and they're like you know what let's do it so they came out i remember they came out and during december and it was like 
kind of the end of the year type thing. And they flew out and they came out and we all hung out. And by the time they left, we had a deal. And they were like, That's awesome. let's do it. Well, let's play that. I, I don't want to put words. I don't want to put it's your playlist, but yeah. you know, I would really like to play like something off 59 Sound. Or I would just what, play 59 Sound, man. I mean, let's that's do that. jam. Let's play 59 Sound by Gaslight Anthem, another release on side one. I mean, we've played Gaslight before, yeah, I, and we I both, played him a bunch. We're I both played fans. Him too much. <laughs> <laughs> but it just sounds like another, like your passion for music just leads to success. <laughs> and, and like, well, you love what you do. At least you yeah. And you do it, what you love. Yeah. <laughs> <At least>. yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it's beneficial in the sure. end to yeah. love the bands that you're that you've signed and bands that well, you're working what, with. That's like you know? when, when we started out, like what I was saying, you know back when we started talking to each other when I first got here, you know, like, I just feel that, like, for me, you know, all the bands we signed, like, Bill and I always had a, Bill and I always said to each other, like, do you love it enough that you would follow the band around, you know, with a van load of wow. records back yeah. then, or a van load of CDs, or a van load of vinyl, and would you sell it out of the back of your car? You know, do you love it that much that you would be willing to, like, fight other people that aren't into it? And, like, right. we had that passion for our bands and like i think sometimes people might be when they're listening say wow like you love something so much that you would like be so passionate about it that if someone's not into it you would you would get you know like you'd get in an argument with them and i was like yeah like yeah i remember i remember you have to be the biggest disciple yeah like you're the biggest disciple as the as the guy totally. who signed him right yeah. like, you and gotta I believe like, just as much yeah and i felt like the reason that we signed these bands was because they knew that no matter what we were going to do and fight and, and do everything we possibly could mm -hmm. to make them the biggest band that they were, you know, I, the hardest thing ever with signing bands is when they don't become successful Yeah, right. and they, and, and I know that there's bands that I've worked with that it was, it was heartbreak, you know, yeah, right. I think I signed, can't believe that this didn't happen. Yeah. For you, right. And I think so I, I think I have sometimes, I think honestly, I have more in common with the bands that didn't succeed than the bands that have. I mean, I never, I never achieved, you know, the success that like Flag and Molly or right. Gaslight Anthem or Go Go Burdell, all those bands achieved, you know, like my own personal bands, we, you know, we did well, but we never achieved the success those bands had. So for the bands that we signed, that worked so hard and put in the time and did all the touring and did everything. And I know, I know what goes into that. I know, I know better than anybody what right. it takes to, to make it happen and what it does to you mentally and physically. And so when the bands that I signed and Bill signed that didn't do well and, and didn't blow up, those, those hit harder to the home because I could, I could, I knew what they were thinking you know, way more than what I thought Brian Fallon's thinking when David Letterman shakes his hand. Right. Because exactly. I've never been there. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like when, when, you know, or when, you know. Or uh, Bruce Springsteen says, hey, I want to play a song with exactly. you. Exactly. You know or what Bruce I mean? Springsteen <laughs> calls you at home, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, I, haven't hey, got, hey, I haven't gotten that call. <laughs> uh, so with that said, uh, that was the hard, that, that was always been the hardest thing with the label is working with the bands that work so hard and, and everything and, and don't achieve that success. But the thing that I do believe goes back to that core idea that I said at the beginning is that you, you really do have to have 
that that no backup plan this has to happen it, you know it, it it can't be like well if, you know if and i feel like that's that's like the core to success for anything you do like you have to like yeah. whether you're an athlete whether burn you're, your you burn the ships in the harbor you ain't turn it back here yeah, yeah you know you really have to ask yourself and i and you know maybe maybe some people think that's too too much of a um that's too hardcore but i i don't know i just feel that the the people that i grew up and the people that i was around that were successful were the people that they they were like failure's not an option i'm gonna make this happen no matter what right um i'm not stopping and if we do i'm you know i'll stop once the wheels come off and we crash and burn and i just i feel that you know it might it's not a healthy way to live because mentally it oh yeah it It costs you relationships oh totally costs you you everything but if anything that means anything in this world that that i think artistically now you know i'm not talking about like if you're a guy and you're like i'm starting an app and we're gonna you know design a new app for this or we're starting a new company that you know like that type of stuff that's that's not the art i'm talking about the the, what i'm talking about is you're in a band you know you're a comic or you're a writer or you're whatever and no matter what you believe in what you're doing so much that people are going to say no to you and people are going you know every every hurdle is going to be in your way that you say well you know what i'm going to crash and burn this thing and at least i'll know that i gave it my best shot and Mm -hmm. but i feel though that the bands that were the biggest that I've ever worked with and all the bands we just talked about for the last hour all had that attitude. Yeah. Right. You know, Dave King did not have a backup plan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. No, you're all the bands that we mentioned. Ian McKay did not have a backup plan. You know, we don't know that, Oh, you didn't know this. Yeah. Ian had a scholarship to Brown or whatever. You know, it's like, it's like, no, he, this is what he did. You know, uh, Jay Bentley from bad religion, you know, no backup plan. Right. And, And it, it's, that's where I feel the greatness comes from. They talk about that in um, in uh, uh, another state of mind, the uh, the punk rock. You I know, love it. Another state of mind. Right. Yeah. It's great. Right. So it's kind of centric on a young Mike Ness, but oh, totally. What what, what I love about it is how um, they have you know Mike. They're interviewing Mike Ness, and he's like, "Yeah, Ian McKay worked at Hagen Dazs, you know, because he had to live." But he had to fuel this art. And he's like, how does he do it? Yeah. Like, how does he do it? And I'm like, well, dude, you do whatever it takes, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's pretty amazing. Well, let's switch gears. Let's talk about comedy because I know we've been talking a lot about music. We could probably, we could make this a four-hour podcast about about, (laughs) about Just what all your listeners want. Four hours with Joe Sid. Four hours (laughs) with Joe Sid. This is amazing. I know. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about con- how did you get into stand-up comedy? Because tonight you're going to be down in uh, the Irvine Improv. Yeah, Irvine Improv tonight. you know, the way I got into stand-up is it's it's pretty simple. You know, I was kind of everything. Like, what I realized being a singer in a band, since I was always the singer, like, no one's ever asking the singer to jam with them. Yeah, you exactly. know, If you're a guitar player, hey, man, can you come and play with us? Hey, if you're a bass player, hey, can you fill in? If you're a drummer, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Gigs Everybody, all day are you long. kidding me? Yeah. But, like, no <laughs> one ever, when, when you're a singer in a band, no one ever's like, Hey man, you know we're starting a band and we want you to be the singer. It's like because at that point you're you're the vibe. It's like you're the leader. It's like you right. you come with more. You come with like a brand, you know. And um, so when I was when I was singing, you know, Twenty Two Jack, I was did Wax had amazing time. Twenty Two Jacks is great. And then right around when Twenty Two Jacks ended, and it only ended because at a certain point I was just like I had just gotten married and I was like, man, you know, I have this company side one. 
So I went, dummy, you know, I got to focus on that. We had just signed Flogging Molly. I think, you know, at that point, you I was like... You got a full-time job here. Yeah, yeah cool. well, you know what it was? was when we signed Flogging Molly, I do remember my partner, Bill, kind of said, hey, man, you know, like, I'm down for 22 Jacks, and I love everything. You know, like, I know that that's what you want to, you know, that's what you love doing. Um, but, you know, dude, I got to be honest, man. We just signed seven people, and I don't know any of them. Like, yeah, and right. you mm-hmm. do. And like, they're cool to me, but like this, like, dude, you know, like we just signed this band and like, I really believe we have an opportunity that this band could be huge. And I remember, you know, him pulling me aside and saying that, cause he's not one of those kind of guys. It's like, you know, we've been best friends since, you know, we were, in he our doesn't 20s. amaze he's, easily. You know what I mean? No, no, he's just not a, he's, you know, he, he, he's not going to ever like suggest something to me that I don't, don't listen to and go, you know what, if you're bringing that up, then I should think about that it's for and a I, reason and yeah. i was right you know I, I when i when he said it to me i was like yeah you're right this is seven people and like let's be realistic like they they're they're they could they could be huge mm-hmm. you know and and like you just told them you know they're going to be on the label and like now all of a sudden you know what you're going to go on tour again mm-hmm. and and i was like you know what he's totally right so it was you know it was it was on tour with lit i came home with 22 jacks and i just was like i remember i was like you know, once again, like my maturity level's so low. Um, I was like, this is, I'm done with playing music. And I remember we were played San Francisco and then we played LA, like Palladium was the last show. And I remember I told my dad in San Francisco, you better come to the show tonight because this is the last time I'm ever going to be on stage. And my dad was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm done playing music. He's like, he's like well, first of all, I don't think you're done playing music. And second of all, like, dude, you're not going to be off stage. Like, I know you'll figure out a way back. Mm-hmm. But I, for 10 years about, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just focused on the label, like from 33 to 40. So that's seven years. And then, um, what happened was a radio station went on air and the label was doing, the label popped, man. You know, we had just, it happened. You, know, like you guys that. had all kinds of, yeah, we had everybody yeah. and it just blew up and it was great. And then at a certain point I was like, oh man, you know, I'd love to work that muscle again. And a, sta- a radio station went on the air called Indy 1031. Right. Yep. I love and that I station. Yeah. yeah. And at that point. That's right. You had a you had a yeah you had a radio show on it. Right. Yeah, That's I was on, right. I was on every night. After. It was such a great sh- yeah. station. Yeah. It was Jonesy so good. on it Jonesy, too. Back Rollins. Oh, mm-hmm. Rollins had a great show. Uh, yeah, Dickie Barrett. Joe right. Escalante. Oh yes. Uh, and then and then uh, and the Joe Escalante had a show after Dickie. Yeah. Right? And he the, had the yeah. morning show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know you had Dave Navarro on there and that whole crew that whole crew. So the thing that was cool though was. Um, so the, so what happened was I was in the right place at the right time. And the, and the music director for Indy 1031 was like, he's like, man, I love your vibe and you're funny. And you know, why don't you do a show? And I was like, I'd always had this idea of like doing a show that like focused on punk rock and skateboarding and just kind of Southern California culture. And he was like, let's do it. Can you start next week? And then I went on. And when I started doing the show that really kind of, you know, it opened me up to interviewing people. It opened up to me, like it opened up being able to like be on the other side of the mic, not getting interviewed exactly, yeah. and, and working that muscle. And then I just started with like, you're funny. You know, I like your stories. And then I just started thinking about like, well, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could do something like that. And what I liked about it was it was just me by myself. So then I wrote this one man show. I did that for about a year. And then the one man show we did at the improv one night. I don't know why I said we, because it was just me. I did it the improv. We, me, and all of my personalities. Yeah, all yeah. Together. And then, uh, and then we um, we did it at the improv, and I and I really, I was like, well, this is my first time being at the improv in Hollywood, and and the woman that booked it was like, this woman named Emily. She was like, hey, you know, if if you want to come back, you know, I love you know, show was sold out, and 
Say, can you come back and do what you do? You know, can you do it in five minutes or seven minutes instead of an hour? And I was like, wow, you know, maybe I can, you know. And then I just so you had an hour's worth. I was of doing one an hour show. Yeah, because it was it was a so storytelling getting, show. Getting your tight five minutes or whatever oh was relatively. Yeah. It was just an editing yeah, process. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, cool. To this, you know, to kill like. That's why, like, when you see a comedian, so, like, to go on stage and, and someone say, hey, man, I need you to fill up an hour, that's, like, that, you know, some people, that would be a nightmare. Oh, totally, but for yeah. me, But for me, it wasn't only because I, you know, I just, I'd been on stage enough, so, you know, as a singer in a band that I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. And, you know, you had your stories, and I had photographs, and you were able to lean on the photographs, that, you know, so it, it, it the, yeah. that's why the show did well. It had all these photographs and stuff. But when, when they said, come back and just do five minutes or seven minutes, I remember the first time as a comedian that someone said, hey, man, can you go up and do a tight five? And I was yeah. like, I was like, five minutes? Like, it seemed, five minutes to me seemed like, like that's not even my intro. Seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like, how exactly. do I even, how do I walk to the stage in five right. seconds? Yeah. How do I, how do I even get the mic out of the, the stand in five minutes? You know, like, I'll never be able to do it. But you do have, I mean, you well, clearly yeah, yeah. have one. Yeah, I, yeah. I listen to a bunch of stuff on, uh, just on the internet, just let's, yeah. Let's hear the let's hear the five minutes and man, it's tight. Yeah. Like, but it's, I imagine that's yeah. difficult too because with someone who likes to talk, sure. Like, how do you edit yourself down it's a lot to the of editing, five? Man. It's yeah. a lot of editing. It's a lot of trimming the fat. It's a lot of it's a lot of looking at. It's a comic once said to me, "Words are like furniture. You got to keep moving them around until mm-hmm. you find the right combo." And and it's it really it really does take um, it really does take like a, a certain. Uh, I want to say like you, you know, I've never nerded out on anything. Like I was never that dude, but like I nerd out on comedy. Like I nerd out on jokes. I nerd out on like writing yeah, out little bits and little chunks. Yeah. Like right? I'll write, if I, if I, you know, the other, a while ago, if, if I, if I hear something that I really like, I'll be like, wow, I have to literally write the, I write it out and look at it and go, Oh, this is where he's getting the, you know, this is where it's working right here. And, and then for my own stuff, you know, I would write things out and trim fat and, and then, but the thing was, is that, you know, starting comedy is, is at the point that I did, it was, it was just, it just felt like the next thing to do, but it, it also was like such a foreign thing because I didn't have any, I didn't have any friends that were doing it. Like right, all, yeah. all of my friends went on to pick up acoustic guitars yeah. and do like, kind of like the Chuck Ray, Chuck Ray yeah. or the Joey Lagwag, mm-hmm. Joey, yeah, or Joey Cape, yeah. or they're in a cover band and I decided, hey, so check it out. I, you know, that the following I have from that, oh, I'm gonna bail on that, and I'm gonna just focus on doing stand-up. Whereas all of a sudden, you 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 have to like. And now you're you're starting out like you have no connections because no that's connections. a totally different thing. Yeah, exactly. You start you start off at the Paradise Bakery in Irvine. Yeah. Or on a fr- on a I Sunday. Was, I was pretty about. fortunate. I was pretty fortunate because um, I kind of lucked into. Um, getting an early uh, hosting spot at the uh, Laugh Factory. Oh, cool. Okay. And, and that know, forced you, obviously, to yeah, get better. Because right? I had because what had happened was is that I, I started hosting at the Laugh Factory for this radio show. They need, they're like, hey, 98.7. Oh, gotcha, yeah. It's like, we're doing a comedy show. We want you to be the host. And I was like, okay. So all of a sudden, I was the host at the comedy show, but on the comedy show, and it was just, I was, once again, right place, right time. Chappelle, he was just coming back. Dane Cook was just coming back. Uh, right blowing up. Uh, uh, Chris D'Elia. Oh, nice. you know, So like, I was in the, I was in the right Hannibal place. Hannibal Burr is probably around all that same people, time. Yeah, all yeah. those people. Hannibal Burr is my favorite. Yeah. Like, over the past five yeah, years. all those me, people. Yeah. And I was, and I was, and I'd have to host. So I would do 10 at the top and I learned really, really quick that, um, 
if I didn't get laughs enough during those 10 minutes, I knew I wouldn't be invited back again. Right, yeah. So I, the show was once a month, so what I did was I, I, I all month long would just work on new material and get tighter and tighter and tighter so that when I, when I hosted, I, it was more just so that I wouldn't get asked to leave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Bits. And then the other thing was, is I just, I just would sit there every night, and I would just start watching. You know. And it's I, a master class when yeah. you watch enough oh of Crystalia and some of those guys that are like, you're talking about guys that get sitcom contracts. It's yeah. like, dude, mm-hmm. they get those contracts yeah. not because they're a recognizable face, but because they know that they can. Here is a. Here's what we think is funny. Punch it up and let's do it yeah. for a half hour. And the thing yeah. that the thing that was cool about you know being there at that time was that that you know I was able to like. You know, like when I remember one night I watched Dave Chappelle for like four hours, and I remember, you know, I would sit there, and, and then also it was like all the comics that were popping at that time and coming up that are now huge, whether it was Whitney Cummings, you know, Sarah Silverman. I mean, she obviously had already been happening, um, and then just getting a chance to watch people like Patton Oswalt, and, yeah, right. And, you know, going to the Improv, and I would do spots there, and I just, I just really, I just, I just was like, you know what? All, all that I wanted to do was I wanted to be funny enough that when I got up there, people, um, that, that, that it wouldn't offset the night. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's, it's yeah, like, like they wouldn't go, Oh dude, that guy's totally out of his element. Yeah. That's all yeah. I wanted. Yeah, right. It's not like, it's not like I have to be a success on the level no. of Patton Oswalt. I just don't have to no. suck bad enough to where yeah. like, you know, they yeah. want to boo me off. Or, mm-hmm. or, or yeah, I just, or I want to be able to sit at the table with all the comics and have them be like, yeah, cool man. You're, yeah. you're funny. Good. You know, yeah. like, that was that was kind of just my goal when I started, and then like everything else in my life, I just I got super super into it, and like one year turned into you know it's coming up on ten, wow, that's and then great. that just kind of you know, and then you know just certain opportunities you know get, getting to do um, you know I met Jim Brewer, and and he you know he was you know such a monster comedian, and yeah he's amazing. I just stayed right? in touch with him, and and then I got a break because he needed someone to open for him. Oh, and I, awesome. I, I was like, awesome. And I did so it one Jim night. Jim Brewer, for those who don't know, the Saturday Night Live fame, obviously. Yeah. And then just, but his stand-up is ridiculous. And he's been working. It's not like he ever had any time off. No. He's, he's been working, working since he's been on Saturday Night Live yeah. in the 90s yeah. all the way till right now. now. Yeah. He's working tonight, actually. Oh, is he really? Yeah, yeah. Because I was supposed to, I was, yeah, there was, I was supposed to do tonight with him, but it, uh, I'm working tonight at Irvine Improv. Well, and then you got a, you got a really big opportunity to open up for Metallica. Yeah, right? me and So Jim. let's talk about that. Like, yeah, that was crazy. I mean, that was one of those things, once again, opening up for Jim, we were touring together. I knew he was friends with the dudes in Metallica, you know, and, uh, Dude, how just, is that? What's you're that dynamic like? Yeah. Like know, opening so it up for a huge and you're in a band. stadium. I'm assuming yeah. you're in a stadium, right? It it's was, not like they did oh, a yeah. club tour. No, like every you're... every show was every show was twenty three thousand people. <laughs> yeah. But like for everyone listening, like because like right now, it, you know, if if you're thinking, how would how would you know a comedian Jim open for Metallica? You know the thing that the thing that ended up working, and and this is the thing that basically what happened was. Was when Jim Jim's so tight with those guys, you know. I just was in the right place at the right time, and Jim was like, "Hey, man, they said I can bring someone. You know, would you go?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" You know. And at that moment, it was just like, "All right, Jim and I will come up with an you know we'll come up with a concept for like what we'll do before Metallica." Now, like you know, I always joke around the first night in Madison. You know, we didn't really have that together, but the next night in Minneapolis, we did, and all we really you know, Jim had. A lot. The thing was, is that I think the biggest thing that we figured out was like Jim wasn't originally thinking of doing stand up, but the first night he got there, 
I think he realized, and all of us did, was stand up and rock and roll and music had changed so much mm-hmm. from, from when the last time he thought about doing something like that. Because the one thing that Jim had done was, you know, he was fronting a band, he, he's singing, like he had oh, a band. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay, he knew, wow. oh, dude, the guy's voice is sick. I mean, he sounds like Brian Johnson. It's, wow. It's, oh, it's wow. incredible. Guy, I mean, like seriously, he can sing. Like, he, he's, So he was hired as a musician? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, what ended up happening was... What I'm saying is like he started he he loves metal. So he did he you know, he's fronted a band. You know, he has all those bits about A C D C he has all mm-hmm. those bits about Metallica. So like he had all this material, but what I don't think neither one of us and you know, I can't speak for Jim, was when we first thought about it, we were still underneath the guidelines, kinda like, Oh, you know, comedy and music is still ten years ago. Whereas yeah. right now, Comedy and music are crisscrossing all day long. It's, I was explaining and to someone. That's why the audience, so the audience that was coming into that venue, the 23,000 people are coming in, I remember they they were like, you know, I don't want to see Jim Brewer shoot shirts out of a shirt cannon. Yeah, right. I want to see Jim Brewer do stand-up. Right, yeah. And, I, and he did. And then by the, I'm telling you, by the, by, I mean, there was, there he was doing minimum 40, 45 minutes a night stand wow. up in front of 23,000 people and they were into it. And all we did was we just, the the doors were at 6.30. I came out at 7. The band would go on at 9. And all we did was that 7 to 9 period, we just put chunks. Like it was like I would DJ the intro of the show. You know, what's up? Get everyone fired up. Bring Jim out. Jim would do his stand up for about 30, 40 minutes. So now we got about another 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes to kill. He would bring me up. I would do a bit. Then we'd go back to music. Then we would do it. You know, it's like we, all we did was, it was like throwing a huge party. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then at the end of the party, Metallica plays. So you were, yeah. at, you were real MCs. You were there real hosting MCs. the night. Yeah. Absolutely. Got it. Jim always said that. He always had me bring him out on stage. Please welcome to the stage. Yeah. Uh, your MC and host for the night and diehard Metallica fan, Jim Brewer. Right. That's that was such a cool like mashup, and for oh, the audience, like what a treat for the audience. Insane. People you know? loved it. People yeah, because how many, tour, how many people, people gave us plaques that, yeah. like from all over the world? People, I just did it in a Metallica event. They just did the San, uh, the San Francisco Symphony and Metallica, and they had me come up and like they did a night in between where it was just for the fans, and I did like some stand up, and it was killer. But gosh, I mean. Talk about being embraced by fans. Totally. People that came from all over the world, all over the country, and they loved what Brewer was doing before Metallica. And and, and for that, man, I'm I'm just it was it was such an experience that was so insane because the magnitude, you know, I I toured my whole entire life. You know, I've been on the tour buses, I've you know, I've I've played, you know, venues, you know, theaters, but Usually, like when you get a break and you go, okay, we're gonna do the one, you know, we did Lollapalooza. Oh my God, forty thousand people, or oh my God, Lola, you know, twenty thousand people. It's like one show you do, so like it, it, it happens so quick yeah. and fast that you never really get to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But this tour of Metallica was, you know, six months, thirty-five shows. So like, I really was able to take in. The magnitude right, and, yeah. and, and you know twenty you know like to about, sit there and, and honing your craft yeah. too because yeah. you're there every night you got to oh, do yeah. it for six months that's six amazing months. that's yeah. a gift it was kind of cool though because it was two weeks on two weeks off nice so yeah two months so it's two weeks out of for six months for two weeks every month I was on the road with well so, and people don't realize like in the in the seventies that was not uncommon at all to have yeah. a comedian no. open but I don't know for, if it went over that well yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah probably maybe not maybe not right so no. crazy but Jim 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 crushed it man. 
That's great. Well, that's awesome. Well, let's, you know, we're, we're kind of, you you have a show, so we're kind of running a little bit out of time. Okay. But what we'll do is we have playlist stuff we got to do. What I'm going to do is let's just, we'll get a playlist from you. Okay. And we'll load that up. We usually play about 15 songs, right? Yeah. But I think what we should do is like, give us a song of where you are now. Like yeah. this has been your journey. Where are you now? Where am I now? And we'll play that, and then we'll come back, and we'll close it up. And then what we'll, we'll, what we'll do is we'll, we always have a playlist we'll put out to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so there'll be side one bands and any bands that you want that are on there. We typically, we go about 15 songs. We have about 10 now. So yeah. it's like we're, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good playlist for people. It's a good playlist, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean. You Putting know, you on the spot, I guess. I know, no, 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 sorry. I mean, no, no, no. I mean. Um, and where you are now, it could be still same bands that you were listening to before, but you just have a deeper appreciation or something for them too. I would yeah. say or, you know. uh, I would say Iggy Pop and the Teddy Bears. I'm a punk rocker. Oh, awesome! I love it. I, that's a great song too. Yeah. All right, let's play that right now, and we'll come back with Joe Sip. that out for sure to get all that edited up cool yeah and then um again man we're i think julie and i are gonna pick we're gonna pick our favorites because we're fan favorites and it's our podcast so screw you (laughs) (laughs) we'll just keep adding we're gonna pick our our favorites uh to go on the playlist for side one bands that will consist of gogo bordello uh the briggs skinny lister Lister as well um and uh we're we're gonna take that from there and kind of run with it but man Thank you so much for, oh, for coming. Yeah, down. totally appreciate it. And, and you know, best of luck on your show. And I know you said you're headlining in December. Correct? Yeah, December 10th, I headline the Irvine Improv. And um, yeah, if anyone, if you want to win tickets to that, it's December 10th, Irvine Improv. And if you're listening to this right now and it's not past December 10th, text my name Joe J O E to the number 31 31 31 31 three times. Text my name Joe to 31 31 31, and uh, you'll get a chance at uh, winning uh, two tickets to the show. And I'd be stoked That's amazing. Sweet, we'll put that up too. And it's December 10th, Irvine Improv. And thank you both for having me. I really appreciate yeah. it. It's really cool. Great vibe. We, we, I loved it. We I want to it. thank you. We definitely want to thank Lisa Johnson as well. And then actually, thank Kevin Blades as well for just cruising by here. Love this Kevin. I know. <laughs> Kevin from Lid. He's going to be on as well. We're going to do, I think with Kevin, it's going to do like stripper songs. Or I like think that's what he wanted. <laughs> that's like what he yeah. wanted, yeah. So, we'll do that. So, but Kevin was here and it was really cool watching you guys re- reconnect. Oh my God. After I, last time. I, that's. He's one of those people that like I see and I just get happy. He's a genuine person, yeah. Such a genuine person and just he has such a great energy about him. I love him. He's he's been a great friend. Well, you know what, Joe, thank you so much and, and uh, we'll have you back. If you want to come back before December tenth and you want to do another little bit, we'd be happy to have yeah. you. Yeah, thank we you. We can guys do so like a singles episode. Yeah, single, yeah. yeah, like a yeah. quick one. Like a like yeah. a thirty minute. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so All much right. for having me, you guys. All right, man. Awesome. That was Joe Sib, everybody, from Side One Dummy and Stand Up Comedian Extraordinaire. Julia? This was good. This was good. <laughs> All right. We will, great. T- we will see you guys uh, next time. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mixtape Mixtape Podcast for show notes, pictures, and behind-the-scenes snaps. And while you're at it, head over to the <laughs> website, mixtapemixtapepodcast.com. For complete playlists, as well as links to all the spot- songs on Spotify. 
just know that I worked really hard on putting all those playlists up and I have feelings. Or did you work really hard at avoiding other responsibilities? Shut up. Just don't forget to tell your friends. One more thing. We know you're busy people, but go ahead and click to review and give us a five-star rating or comment on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.